Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Governments denied. Militaries denied. Even the mainstream media denies it. But they are here and they've been here for a very long time. The Mutual UFO Network has been on the front lines uncovering the truth since 1969. And now we're sharing that truth with you. Welcome to MUFON What's Up with your hosts, Katie Page, Shane Hurd, and Tara Diulis. Exclusively on the KGRA Digital Broadcasting Network. Wondering what's up? So are we. What's up, everybody? It is another Tuesday night, and you are listening to MUFON, KGRA's What's Up Radio, the show that says discovery starts with curiosity, and curiosity starts with MUFON, brought to you by KGRADB.com. As always, we're endorsed by MUFON, the mutual UFO network, always asking that all-important question, are we alone in the universe? I am your host, Katie Page, Colorado MUFON State Director and Mars Administrator. And I have some kind of exciting news about Mars, too. And we'll get to that when Tara talks about her Mars case of the week. Tonight, we are catching up with a good friend of mine, Michael Schratt. Um, It'll be fun to see what he's up to and see what he thinks about all these exciting things that have been happening the last couple months and get his opinion on that. Um, So I'm looking forward to having him on the show tonight. Um, Let's bring in my co-host, my awesome co-host. First, we have Tara Dioulis. You can see Tara right here on Sky Tour live stream with Mark D'Antonio on KGRA. Hi, Tara. How you doing? Hey, what's up, Katie? Good to see you again. (laughs) I know. You made it home safe. As you guys know, last week she was right here in Colorado. It was really fun having you here with me to do the show. I mean, that was a ball because we were we we could feed off of each other right here. So I, I kind of miss you. Oh, I miss <laughs> like, you. I was, we should do that every saying, week. I know. Just uh-huh. fly out every week. That would be a blast. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's do, and we'll bring Shane. We'll just all three just you know rotate around. That's awesome. That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> Speaking of Shane, yeah, Shane. Heard is Arizona MUFON's assistant state director. He's also on the ERT. How you doing, Shane? Good, good. Hi, do we have sound? I know we we have a little bit of a lag and some technical dif- difficulties, but uh, we heard you, so you are mm-hmm. here, and I can see your face. Yeah, I'm okay. 
Yeah, I'm experiencing some <laughs> lag here. I, I may have to shut down and rejoin you guys in a few minutes. We'll see how it goes, though. Okay, well, I hope you come back soon. Yes. In the meantime, we'll catch up with Tara and see what she has for our meme of the week and our products. Yeah, well, today's meme shows two aliens congregating around the hand sanitizer. You know, one is saying to the other, just don't ask. <laughs> we can all kind of relate to the hand sanitizer these days. The miracle goo, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And it's starting back up. Tis the season. Tis the flu season. It is. And COVID season. Everybody just, you know, keep that hand. I I mostly use that hand sanitizer when I go to gas stations. I have a a thing of it, the Purell, right there in the Jeep, you know. So, real quick. I've gotten such a habit of that. I'm so many pe- sure so many people have gotten that habit as well. Just well, it's not too much does. of a bad thing, that's for sure. Well, right. Well, you know, today's products were found on Etsy, and being up in Colorado made me want to get a little bit warm. So I found a whole bunch of UFO and alien socks. So oh. you have these are fun ones with UFOs on them, and then you have some with some blue space aliens and galaxies. Oh. Oops. And feels fun. Here's an alien that just beamed down. So he's just <laughs> checking out the earth. And these are some very pink, peaceful aliens. You know, I, I love that. Fun. Yeah, very fun. And you have some aliens wearing a Hawaiian shirt, little crew socks. And then you have some space travelers. And oh, those are funky and fun. Yeah. How about some aliens <laughs> peeking through some stripes? That's kind of fun. And <laughs> You know, here's oh, some. Um, those. Do you know, those are yeah. ships in the forest, little crews. That's cute. And some footies. I love the purple. And then here's some little trippy alien heads, you know. Well, who doesn't love the alien socks? And found on Etsy, folks, where you can find just about anything. So, Katie and Shane, who's out there, um, are you staying hydrated today, Katie? You know, being in altitude, you have to. So, fuel up. There you go. It has a proprietary formula with the finest cellular hydration, and it helps support cognitive skills, focus, concentration, and energy. So there you go. Visit fuelup.gg slash MUFON for more information. And Katie, so as we're waiting for Shane, I'm wondering what you've been up to lately. Oh, well, I got to go to a concert Friday night, so that was fun. And then my granddaughter had her first birthday on Saturday, so it was a fun weekend for me. What about you? (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, nothing that exciting. So um, just got back from Colorado and just kind of recovering and playing with the zoo, so... Yeah. yeah, you do have you can you can share why we're waiting for Shane to pop in. Uh, tell us about your animals because I know you do have quite the zoo there. We do. All of our animals are rescues, and let's see the count. We've kind of shifted count recently, but we have five cats and two dogs, two giant tortoises that are about a hundred pounds each, and a little bunny that's about three pounds, and about twenty birds. And they're all just birds. I, I have about 300 birds, but they all live outside. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, they do, and they're so beautiful. So, well, be, speaking of that, since Shane's kind of not back yet, I could certainly go on to the Mars um, case if you'd like. Yeah, let's do it. Let's jump right into your Mars case. And oh, so the special announcement yeah, tell us. by this Christmas 
is when we're going to be rolling out. So yeah, um, so stay tuned for on how and where and when you can access some of these awesome files. But let's get a sneak peek at what's available. Yeah, and there's tons of files. There's like 10,000 files from if I'm remembering correctly to give or take a few. So so starting out with Mars, um, so this week's Mars case would be considered a fairly recent one that occurred in February 3rd of 2000. So oh, it was wow. near Rockmart, Georgia. So this file contains the report only, and so not the investigation, and it involves a very credible witness. So it was about 4 a.m. when a corporal for the county police department was preparing to work his early morning traffic shift. So he, there he was. He was parked on the, there's a sketch in the siding. He was parked on the highway facing north with his lights off and doing some paperwork. And at 4.09 a.m., he looked at his clock and then glanced at the highway and surrounding area. And as he did, he noticed in the southern horizon an object heading west at a very high rate of speed. And what caught his eye was a red glow oh, wow. out, outlining a round-shaped object that appeared to have a clockwise spinning motion. And there you see his sketch, and it shows the direction of that possible spin. Wow. So he had been looking out the front car window, so he decided to get a closer look. And after opening his car door, he tried to get out of the vehicle, but he realized he still had his seatbelt on. And... So it was at this point that he saw the object at, object at an angle flying almost oh. overhead. So he described it as now more of a geometric in shape, almost triangular, but gray in color, giving a full outline of its edges. So that's kind of a side overhead view is how he described that. Wow. After it passed at the rear, he could only see a circular red glow so the object passed a nearby trailer park and was out of sight, allowing the officer to directly view it for an estimated two seconds, which is still quite a bit of time. Yeah. So there, there we show his, um, there we show his sketch and his car is in the middle and the bottom of the blue and from left to right is the object as it flew overhead. So, he wasn't sure of what he saw and waited for about 15 minutes before contacting 911 and dispatch to check on any reports of a strange sightings and there were none. So the officer stated that the point he first observed the object to seeing it overhead and then when it was out of sight, there was no smoke trails nor was there any sound of an engine or propulsion system. And he also said that the sighting literally scared him because he knew it was he wasn't looking at an airplane or a helicopter. And he added that he that what he that he was sure that what he saw was a physical object. Oh. So that that's his handwritten report there. So that's our Mars case of the week. And and I can't wait to get all these opened up for everybody to see and um these objects that people draw. I love seeing the sketches that these witnesses draw. It's very telling. Oh, and it's, it's and so funny how, cause we think like this was, this case was like from 2000, correct? Correct. And, and it sounds so like not long ago, but it's 23 years ago. Still. Like in, my, in my world, I hear like 2000, I'm like that was yesterday, 
Um, but these older <laughs> cases like this, I just love them because, and this is true to this day too, like if you're a witness and you have a sighting, sketches, drawings, diagrams are also helpful, especially when you yep. go back years or decades later and you have those to reference and look at. I mean, it just puts you there at the sighting and you're right. Having that um, police officer actually call into dispatch, I mean, obviously affected him in a way. Um, yeah. And that circular motion, the gray, I mean, that's just your, although it, he drew it as a disc and then he saw a close up. you're right. It does resemble a triangle shaped craft. So that is fascinating. What state was that out of again? That was in Georgia, in Georgia, out of Georgia. Yep. So, wow. and, and the gray color is interesting too. So mm -hmm. you hear of, you know, a lot of perhaps military drones being dirt gray, that battleship gray kind of color. So. Right. Knows, Interesting. Yeah. But the size of it seems a little large for that. No, yep. you know, no sounds, all that kind of thing. So that's a fascinating case. And like I said, so many of those cases, as you know, Tara, being on the Mars team and going through so many in cases and reading those, you, you know, the, the work that went into those older cases before we mm -hmm. were spoiled with the, the internet and kind of getting a little bit lackadaisical yeah. well, <laughs> well, this, investigate, you know? Yeah. Well, this case had some photographs that were photocopied and, you know, that, that doesn't do you very well. You know, one version that just, they just start getting black. So hopefully, you know, I think there's um, a project in case I think MUFON wants to start making also videos and photographs available. And it's probably related to how the Mars is being rolled out and other projects down the road. So that'll be cool to see the actual mm -hmm. submitted things. Because right now the CMS cases are there, but the old cases are not. So. Right, right. It'll be so good to have them all together like they should be. So yeah. very cool. Thanks for sharing Yay. that, Tara. I very think cool. we do have Shane back. I don't know if we can bring him up and maybe he can do. Yay. Have you heard? I know he was going to talk about and preview a new film that has recently come out. So cool. have you heard? <laughs> hey, I hear him. <laughs> yeah, great. Finally worked. I had to switch awesome. to my other netted uh, PC, my my other PC. So, well, thank Good goodness. Not, yes, not the same without you, Shane. So I'm glad you're here. Yeah, thanks, guys. Pain in the rear getting this <laughs> together, but we're good. It we're is good. good. All right. Okay. So you're ready for me? I yes. am. Take it All away, right. Shane. <laughs> well, have you heard? There's a new movie out, and the movie is called "No One Will Save You." Uh oh, and uh, it came out September 22nd on Hulu. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to reveal any spoilers, but uh, I do have a few comments I'd like to make because I found this movie really interesting and intriguing. Do you want to um, show the trailer first or second? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's show the trailer first okay. and then talk about it. All right. Yeah.
Love it. What was that? That is awesome. So I've already watched it twice. And, oh, I'm watching it tonight. Yeah. And you know what? Turn all the lights off and just make it real spooky. It's great. But what I wanted to talk about a little bit is, first of all, I want to recommend it to any UFO person and stuff, you know, but obviously careful, too, because you know, it could trigger someone if they, if they have, have issues with, with that. So, um, but what's really different about this movie, um, you could kind of tell by the look of it, it, it's an alien movie, but in a horror style. And just the look of it, you could tell is sort of like, you know, had that look and feel of a horror movie, but it was a great mix of that. And you don't see that often. And then the other thing about it is, you know how in most alien movies and horror movies, like they never really let you get a good look at the alien or at, at yeah. the monster. Or if you do, it's kind of at the end and it's just a quick shot. And, and you know, they build up suspense that way and, and all that. But this movie, you get a little bit of that, but then you get a look at it and you get a look Ooh. at it some more. And you can look oh. at it all you want for a long time. And <laughs> <laughs> I found that was awesome, right? Because you could really, you really, they, they laid it all out there. And um, what's another thing that's very different about this movie, and don't let it turn you off. The entire movie, there's no dialogue. I think oh. there's one line somebody says something. Wow. Really? But this actress, um, her name's Caitlin Dever, uh, Dever or Dever, and um I'm not kidding you. For 93 minutes, though she doesn't utter a word, you know exactly what she's thinking. She she was brilliant in this thing. Um, and so I thought that was really intriguing. And it, it was like 20 minutes I'm into it before I realized there was no dialogue. You oh, know, so wow. They really they really do a great job of telling the story with with, you know, her acting skills and with the camera angles and, you know, the writing is written by uh, Brian Duffield, I think. Um, and it was it was uh, sent out by 20th Century Studios. So it's mm -hmm. a studio movie, uh, but it was released on Hulu Friday night. Um, and it's I think it's distributed through Disney Plus, like everywhere but America. Um, okay. But they the kind of the interesting thing is this thing was ready to go. Uh, you know, a year or so ago. Um, do you guys remember the movie Nope? Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Uh, nope. yeah. No, I did. I wasn't I wasn't a fan. Yeah, yeah. I, it wasn't my <laughs> cup of tea either. But um, they postponed the release of this one um, because COVID messed everybody's schedule up and they were going to get released at the same time. And Brian Duffield here, he felt like, I don't want to compete with Nope. And, um, I, and he hasn't really seen it. And he didn't want to, you know, either have the two similar things out or, you know, that kind of stuff. So they they released later and they released it to streaming. But, um, you know, it's getting rave reviews. You know, some people don't like it, but, you know, it, in right. general, it's getting rave, rave reviews. So um, that's that makes it very different without that dialogue. But as right. I said, and I don't want to do any spoilers here, but. The movie is deeper than you think on the surface, and and you can kind of tell that, but it's kind of hard to follow a little bit because um, you're just so kind of shocked and amazed at what you're seeing. Um, 
but then when I watched the second time, then, you know, it just affirmed what I was suspecting. But um, it's really a deeper, it uh, has a deeper meaning about this, this main character's trauma that she experienced in childhood. And mm-hmm. it sets really the stage for all of these events and ultimately how the aliens deal with her. And so oh. it's, a, it's an important part of the story. And so I'm going to at least mention it so that as you're watching it, just pay attention to her, her childhood things and the way people are treating her. And then um, the ending is very different, but okay. it's actually brilliant. And, right. um, and, and it relates back to this underlying thread, the whole, whole movie. So um, I just right. I really recommend everyone watch it. Keep an open mind. Um, it's visually beautiful. Uh, the, the story is good. Uh, it's great. And the, the acting is just, you know, superb, I thought. And okay. and so it's well worth your time. It's only an hour and a half movie. So, you know, okay. it doesn't, you know, stretch on. And I just recommend do it, watch it at night. Turn all your lights on, you know, <laughs> blanket on your sofa or your, your bed, whatever you need to do and get ready to, to be scared. But, um, you know, it's not it's not terribly frightening, but it's it's good. You get to right. see the good. So. Okay, here's homework. Tara, Tara, we have homework. We both need okay. to watch this film before next Tuesday night. <laughs> next Tuesday night, we're going to revisit it and see what you and I think about it. Because I'm go. curious about, I, well, just watching the trailer, I wasn't sure if it was paranormal in nature or UFO in nature or abduction. Mm-hmm. And if it is an abduction, it seems really terrifying. So I'm, it'll be curious, I'll be curious to have a discussion on if they yeah. change that dynamic or if they did really make it a terrifying event, which yeah. of course, when you're taken against your will, that that's never okay. Right. And that's what right. we've talked about in the past. So I, I make just to see it now. I'm at, I am going to watch it tonight after the show is trying to find yes. a good movie. And I, uh, I will skip the trials of Oppenheimer and watch this instead. So <laughs> thanks for that tip, Shane. Cool. <laughs> yep. I thought right. we have a little fun this week with something. Yeah, I love that. No, that's always great. We should do a movie review every week. <laughs> I love yeah. it if it's UFO related. Yeah. Anyway, so to case of the week, I have a case of the week this week. It's case number 133893. Um, it was a category two, but it was switched to a category one because there was no physical effects. This case occurred September 4th, 2023. So a very recent case that was just recently closed out of micro North Carolina. So basically the witness states that I took my dog out before bed. So how many cases do we get in MUFON where they're out walking the dog or they're out having a smoke? Yeah, about <laughs> 98%. Or they're in the hot tub. Those three yep. things. <laughs> in the backyard. In the backyard. Those are what mm-hmm. you do in the backyard. Anyway, um, as I was about, let's see, I went, took my dog out before bed and I was about to close my back door when I noticed a bright blue light caught her eye. Through the trees, it was getting closer. I knew it was something strange. I ran and I got my phone so I could film it. I saw it was a triangular-shaped object. So even though it was a quick look, I could see the whole object, and it was huge, and it didn't make a sound. And it was unbelievable what they saw. Um, There are all kinds of military planes that fly in my area all the time, and I am familiar with their sounds and the way they look. And nothing compares to this one. Um, this UAP. I only wish I had much longer to view it. It was very exciting to see what I did. And now I look at the sky much longer now closed as an unknown UAV. So I have the original video we can show first. 
took and I cropped it. I put it into Adobe After Effects. I cropped it down and I changed the um, brightness and the exposure the best I could to get a better, closer look at it. And in the bottom right-hand corner, you can kind of see the, the roof line of the house. So it gives you a little bit better perspective. So Chanel, if you could please run that second slowed down cropped version of the video, and then I'll show a couple of photos. The lighting and the blue is really unusual. The light configuration is very unusual. And the one, um, I stopped it here because she says she saw a triangular shape. And I, I look, I didn't see any structure to the craft. But here in the bottom right hand, you could see the roof line of a house. And then I thought this okay. light configuration where I paused it looks, you know, more um, um, more like a triangle perhaps. And then that second photo um, this, I thought, almost looked like maybe the back end of a, of a triangle. It's hard to say, or I don't know, but I have not seen light configurations like this on anything. Have you, Shane or Tara? No. no, that's, and that color is pretty rare. Yeah. You know, you see a lot of amber or red or white or green, but that bluish is pretty unusual. Mm -hmm. uh, that's actually, I love that video. That that's pretty <laughs> freaky. And when you played it in real time up front, yeah, look at that. They they Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They're, they're flashing or, or um, you know, intensifying and then, yeah, that's weird. Are, are they in front of trees or what? Yeah, she's, the witness, I believe it was a female. I'm not sure on that, but I, I'm, I think the way it was written was a female. But she states there were a lot of trees, and, and that's why she couldn't get such a clear view right. um, from it out her from her camera. So yeah. we're because I was wondering how you could see it so clearly over here, and then you kind of lose it for a second. But I think it went behind the trees, and just, she states it made no sound at all. Um, so, and it looks fairly low as far as elevation goes. So really compelling case. So that's a cool one out of North Carolina. So if you're in North Carolina, keep your eyes to the sky. Mm -hmm. I mean, do that anyway, no matter where you are. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. So cool case, cool case for sure. Yeah. yeah cool one. Reporting those to move on. <laughs> I just want one where I can freeze it and you can see the structure and we'll be like, yes, here it is. Here's a spoken yeah. With figures <laughs> inside behind the windows. That's all we need. We're not yeah. asking for much. No. Yeah. Just <laughs> <Do you> mind. <laughs>
Right, right. <laughs> well, I'm glad that um, Shane, we got your your camera and video and sound all figured out. I think it's a good time to bring in our guest, Michael Schratt. Let me read his bio really quick. Michael um, is a private pilot and aviation historian. Um, has been he has been investigating UFO encounters for over 25 years. Between 2008 and 2009, Michael meticulously reviewed a minimum of 50,000 cases. We think 9,000 is a lot in Mars. He's 50,000. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Holy cow, which were preserved at CUFO Center for UFO Studies Archives in Chicago. In an effort to maintain an important part of our national history, Michael has recreated dozens of highly credible UFO cases by the use of drawings, illustrations, and commissioned artwork. Many of these include um, USOs, unidentified submerged objects, actual extraterrestrial encounters, and prehistory UFO cases, which have never seen the light of day. That is so true. And that's what I love about Mars, too, is mm -hmm. you get to see the obscure cases. You know, we get a little tired of, I'm not, not. Not to say anything, but Rendlesham and Roswell and all the, even, mm -hmm. you know, even the Phoenix Lights, hate to say it, we get a little tired of just hearing these same old cases over and over. So the fact that Michael has gone through these 50,000 cases and, have, and and is giving these new life, breathing new life through these unbelievable illustrations is just fantastic. Um, let's see, where was I? Um, in addition, he has performed the most exhaustive research effort on the Leonard Stringfield UFO crash retrieval historical cases. Michael has appeared on multiple media platforms, including the following Coast to Coast AM, History Channel, Paranormal Matrix, UFO Hunters, Fade to Black. And in addition, Michael has been a guest speaker at multiple UFO conferences, including the following Phoenix MUFON, Orange County MUFON, International UFO Congress, um, MUFON Symposiums and UFO Con and many more. Um, it's always fun to hang out with Michael at these conferences. So welcome to the show, Michael Schratt. Hi, good to be with you. Ah, it's hey, awesome Michael. Four <laughs> friends welcome. hanging out. <laughs> uh -huh. yep, that's right. Right. So, you know, when I contacted Michael to come on to the show, he kind of was like, man, I'm kind of, you know, waning, losing hope. I mean, and that's how we all feel. I told him, I'm like, we, we all kind of go through that, especially with, you know, the, the Mexican hearing or the, the hearings that just happened and Jaime Masson. And then you got the whole, you know, with these, what, from my research that I'm doing, it looks like he's in a little bit of hot water. There's multiple different bones in these things. And it, it kind of gives ufology a bad name. And then, you know, the, the whistleblowers are getting pummeled and it's these where we feel like we're making progress, but we're not. And it kind of wears on you a little bit. You know, you're just like, dang it. So, Michael, what do you think about all these things that have been going on recently in the news? You know, I think it really boils down again, like it always does. It's it's the physical evidence that counts the most. I mean, we're at a point now that we're way beyond needing another CE1 or CE2 case to file away. We've already got thousands of those. So a CE1 case isn't going to do us any good now. What we really need now, and, and Dr. Greer has put a vehicle in place now in Washington, D.C. for these witnesses to come forward first-hand military witnesses to come forward without any negative ramifications. And then that's going to include physical evidence, uh, the witness testimony. And that's what we need to move this field forward. Anything less than that, we're just spinning our wheels. I agree. You know. Yeah. That's where we're at right now. And that's why I think that it's the crash retrieval cases that are the Rosetta Stone for moving this field forward because 
we, we need the bodies, we need the craft, we need the debris, we need the autopsy photos, we need the DNA analysis, and anything less than that, we're going to be here another 75 years. And that's that the fact. Is so, yeah, that is so true, because it's mm -hmm. going to take that for people. I mean, I'm always stunned with how many people just are just like, oh, ho-hum, another day, like, you know, it's like, wait a minute, are you not hearing what they're telling us? But you're right, it's going to take all of the above, these crash retrievals. And, and Michael, if you can share with us, I mean, there's some crash retrievals that we're more familiar with, the Roswell crash, right? And, right. and some people are aware of the Aztec crash. But there's, I mean, how many crashes have there been, and so many of them are not well known. I mean, can you estimate how many crashes well, there have been just in the United States or worldwide? We'll, we'll share our screen, but within this book right here, there's 119 crash retrieval cases. Really? So, you know, and then Dr. Greer's got additional documented cases there. So now the number is uh, much larger than that. So, and, and all, all we need is one to be correct. And the whole case for non-existence of crash retrievals completely falls apart. So the numbers are in our favor. Numbers are in our favor. Wow. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Right. Shane, did you have a question? You're muted. No, I'm just squirming because of this, you know, the same frustration you guys are talking about. And, you know, it, it's such a curious thing that, that, proof you would think proof is not subjective but it actually is nothing is true until enough people accept that it's true sure. and yeah. it, it doesn't matter it i'm not talking just ufos it's anything right and and so you know what with this whole disclosure and all of these things um there is very few i can only think of one thing actually that most, if not all, people would accept as proof, um, and and it's probably not pretty. And that that would be some sort of mass revelation of their existence on the part of, of aliens. Uh, you know, the, maybe like the Independence Day thing, the big craft coming out of the clouds, and you know, and for for enough people to see that. Um, it, people's doubt in government now to, to have the government come out and say, Oh, we've got them. I, I don't even think that would do it. That, I don't think that's proof. And even if they, you know, showed a crash retrieval, uh, debris or, you know, bodies, there will be a large number of people that will not even accept that. So, but, you know, I think that's extreme and, and a minority. Um, but, but the, it, this whole disclosure thing is very frustrating in that, um, like many of us are convinced, you know, the, the phenomena is real, right? There, there's, there's, uh, Navy videos and the military and now Congress and everybody's saying, Hey, the phenomena it does exist. So to me, that's a great big win. We haven't had that in 75 years, but now, as you guys have said, we, we want to, we got to get beyond that now that mm -hmm. that's easy for us to grasp, right? maybe people new people out there people who don't pay attention it was a bigger deal to them than to us to us interested in ufos it was the acknowledgement that was really um you know valuable and and important so um i think it's going to be a tough slog to really get get the majority of people to accept proof uh and it just depends on what it is so i mean again i have to remain positive we all do right we we know 
the reality of this, but to, to get it accepted mainstream, that's, it's going to be rough and we're just going to have to be patient. And I hope it happens in our lifetime. Um, but like you were saying, Tara, I think it's like one step forward, and two steps back, especially with Congress and NASA and the military, the DOD, that whole thing. But, you know, there's encouraging signs. You know, we have, you know, a lot of whistleblowers and stuff coming out. So uh, we just have to keep that pressure up and hopefully something pops. So sorry, I didn't mean to rant, but. No, no, I agree. I agree with both you and Michael. Yeah. And I know Tara does too. Yeah. Um, and it does. I mean, we all go through as ufologists and researchers and investigators, this sense of like where we get disheartened and a little like, ugh, you know, cause we're trying to push through these stereotypes and, and that, and it's just until we have these. So I'm really happy to hear Michael that you are, um, you know, really focusing on these crash retrievals. And in fact, I think you have a new presentation and I think we're going to be privy to some of your slides that you wanted to share with us. So, you know, to kind of take take it away on where you want to start with this and we'll sure. share your screen so you can, can share with us. Can you see now? Can you see it now, Katie? Uh, there yep. it is. You do see it. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Right. Good. Excellent. Okay. I think we're all set up here now. What I want to do here is I want to review some of these cases that I've previously gone over, but the difference is we've added new drawings, new illustrations, new full-color graphics, so I felt it did warrant going over some of these older cases. Now, credit has to go to Rudy Gardea, my friend, for doing the sketches on these, so I want to give him credit for these. Um, he's great. Rudy's my, he's my artist, and so, you know, the process here is we read through the Leonard Stringfield book, and then we pick out the best of the best. I'm talking about, you know, one of the military witnesses that uh, has a very good background. He has a detailed uh, description of it, a sketch, maybe a drawing, a rough pencil sketch, a flight path, something. There's, there's got to be meat on the bones, or mm -hmm. I'm not going to take it. It's, it's got to be the best of the best cases. From that point, we kind of like vet out what we want to see here and do a rough first pass of the drawing. And once we get that done, then we start refining the drawing. And, you know, I kind of see the vision of what this thing should look like just by looking at this and feeling this out. And then that's how we get a finalized refined drawing. In a nutshell, that's how we do this. All right. We have 15 minutes till the top of the hour. So let's go about 15 minutes right, in. Please. I'll kind of give you a heads up when, when breaks come in and then. Roger that. We'll, Roger that. Yeah. I also want to give credit to Joel Christopher Payne and my friend Joseph Wraith for also doing the full color illustrations. Okay. Now, as we talked about before, if you want the uh, very detailed descriptions of these crash retrieval cases, you have to get this book, UFO Crash Retrievals, by Leonard Stringfield, 1978 to 1994. This book is not for the faint of heart. It is a long book. Uh, it's detailed. It's it's completely text. There's virtually no illustrations. There's no drawings. And so that's what my goal has been the last, it's almost been two years now, I guess, is taking these cases Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From the first hand military witnesses and making them come alive through the use of illustrations. Okay. So let's start here. Uh, UFO crash retrieval in 1942. So we're already talking before Roswell here. We've got 41 Cape Girardeau. Now we've got 42. We're already prior to Roswell by years here. This was at an army base north of Georgia that Leonard didn't even know where this was. And this is page 319 in the book that I just showed everybody. So if they want to get the details, it's all in the book. Now, as this craft came down, the side of the craft clipped the side of the building of the army base. And there was a hull breach on the side of the craft. This thing was 15 feet wide, 10 feet high. And it had these hieroglyphic writings written on the outer bottom circumference of the craft itself. There were three levels to this thing. So there was a control room, which was sort of on top that had a panel with buttons and switches and dials and levers. That's what you see on the upper section of the detail view on the right. Now, the midsection had what looked like four bar stools and they were posted in back of what looked like a wraparound window so, you know, that was the second level. The third level had a trap door. Now, there were four crew members taken alive. They were five feet tall, oversized head, oversized eyes, slit for a mouth, minute nose, milky white skin. This is back in 19. 19- wow. This is what the witnesses are telling us hmm. that they're seeing here. Uh, now I want to move forward here just to give you a little bit more of a detailed view of what this writing looked like. And... As we go through some of these, um, it's very evident, it's extremely clear that the defense contractors, in conjunction with the military-industrial complex, are absolutely desperate, and I'm talking desperate, to breach the hull of these craft, to uh, reverse engineer not only the propulsion systems, but the metallurgic science that is involved with these, because in a lot of these cases, They've used diamond tip drill butts to get inside these craft and they can't get in. Then they use acetylene torches and that doesn't work. And they use lasers and that doesn't. So if we can figure out a way to integrate this technology into our fighter aircraft, we have the best leading edge. We'd have a jump on the te- on the competition for sure. Michael, right. do you think maybe perhaps a the way to get in is something mentally? Uh, that's a very good case. That's a very good conclusion. Uh, it, it has been said that the engines of these craft are integrated into the, the skin themselves. There is no engine in these things. They're a part of the skin. So then you have a, a symbiotic relationship between the brainwave frequency of the pilots and that's being plugged into the craft itself. Uh, so, you know, the engine is actually the skin. But that's a very good thought. And the other thing that I've heard, too, and that's within the Stringfield cases, is that in at least one case, the only way 
they could crack the shell of these craft is to dip the entire craft into a vat of liquid nitrogen and cold shock it and freeze it, and then they can get in. Wow. That's how wow. they're getting into these. All right, next one. Right Field, Dayton, Ohio, 1946. This is a primary witness's Tex Martin. He was six years old at the time. And we're still before Roswell here. Yeah, right. This is Crash Retrievals, page 242, 243. Now, what you're looking at here is Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, hangar complex number four. I can't guarantee you which hangar it was, but I believe it's the one on the far right. I've actually been in that hangar. And we'll move forward here. Now, <clears throat> there was a soda pop machine associated with this particular case. So I wanted to give you a, just a quick shot of what this thing looks like. So we pair that with the hangar here. Now, there is an adjoining cafeteria to this hangar complex. And this six-year-old boy, he went to work that day with his father. And he was kind of an electrical engineer. And he was hired as an independent contractor. So he's... He's in this adjoining cafeteria, and the um, there was a janitor who asked this six-year-old boy if he wanted to have a soda from this pop machine. And so he asked his father, is it okay if I accept this wonderful gift from this janitor? And he said, yeah, go right ahead. So this janitor goes into this pop machine. He gets this six-year-old boy a pop, and as he's handing it to this boy, Concurrently, the door is opening, and he looks inside this hangar. It's unbelievable. Here's the original first sketch that we did by Ruth. Wow. He sees in this hangar are these 18-wheeler tractor-trailer low boys. They are covering with a tarp various type of debris that you couldn't quite make out what it was, but there was these tarps over there. And then there was a dish-shaped craft, and I'm going to move forward here. Here's the very first rough pass sketch. And you, if you look at the back of the sketch, you can see him with the door open. Uh, there were at least three humanoid-looking bodies, uh, about three and a half to four feet tall. They had oversized heads as well. So now I want to take you to our full final rendering here, and that's this drawing right here. Now, this oh, thing is about 20 feet in diameter. Beautiful. Tripod legs. Uh there was a band wrapped around the outer circumference of the craft, actually two bands, and we've got the, the uh, three small bodies here. And this is what the witnesses are telling us. Now, is it possible that one, two, or three, or a low amount of number our hoax is within this book? Yes, absolutely. Certainly it could be. But when you have 119 military personnel, pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, people who worked at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, people who were on the retrieval team who brought in the bodies, the craft, the debris, personnel who were on the retrieval teams who loaded these things up on 18-wheeler tractor-trailer low-boy trucks and shipped them to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. You just can't discount a high-level member of these military retrieval teams. You, you just can't throw them all away. So we took everything that we could put together from the primary eyewitness and from the three-page report that came with this case and Rudy's sketch, and we went to a full-color rendering, and that's what we see right here. Oh, that's so awesome. Oh, awesome. So if we were here, now he did wow. say that the, the disc-shaped craft was off-white in color, so this wasn't kind of a, a silvery disc. 
This is more of an off-right in color. And, and he's just seeing this as this is going down. Now, his father was severely reprimanded about all this, but this stuck in this little boy's memory for all these years until he heard a radio broadcast regarding MUFON, and it dawned on him, oh, now I understand what mm -hmm. I saw all those years ago. And so this is 1946, right, Patterson? Wow. And the we'll detail in this work blows my mind. The reflections on the craft, like from the lights above and the flooring and the like. I think what you're doing here is so important, Michael, because this is what gets the average person interested in wanting to research and learn more. Because so many people are just so, you know, visual and you, you, we get our data so quickly now. And this, I mean, holy smokes, I'm just yeah. blown away. I can't take credit for it. Joel Christopher yeah. Payne is my artist. But you're, you're right, Katie, because... It does help to make it come alive. Um, yeah. And, you know, we do have the names on a lot of these people. They're not all dead. But as our good friend Stanton Friedman said, you know, many times that we're chasing the undertaker. We are chasing the yeah, undertaker. We and we're way beyond yeah. it now because a lot of these yeah. people have passed away. So really the, the torch has been passed to us. And this is the final curtain call on getting the truth out. Yeah, I feel the same way with the research in Elbert County. I mean, it's, you know, this is mid to late 70s, time's a click ticking away. And you hope that these people that experience these things and have witnessed these things tell their children, tell people to pass it down, just like, you know, good old, you know, storytelling and folklore. But you're right, you know, we need to get out there and, and go and find these people before it's too late to get the full story. So good absolutely, for you for absolutely. bringing them to life. Okay, sorry to interrupt. I'm just blown no, away. No problem, no problem. <laughs> We, we do have a vehicle now in place in Congress where these firsthand military witnesses, they can come forward, they can tell their story, and that's going to help others to be convinced to come forward as well. So that's the goal that we're looking for here. All right, next one. Papagos Indian Reservation, west of Globe, Arizona, January 1947. So, you know, we're, we're a couple cases in here now, and we're still <laughs> prior to Roswell here. Well. All right, so north of Superstition Mountains, the primary witness served in the U.S. Navy during World War II. This is page 93 of the book, case A-10. Let's go to the sketch here. So we've got uh, two personnel going down this unimproved road. This is near Superstition Mountains, west of Globe. And they run across two military police armed with carbides. And they're challenged. And you can see that here in the drawing. They're challenged and they're told you're not allowed to go any further and they got there just right in the middle of a retrieval operation, right in the process of it actually taking place. So they looked off to the left another 150 feet, and here was this 30-foot diameter dish-shaped craft that had augered in at a 40-degree angle. It was about 18 feet high. It had two rims wrapped around the outer circumference of the craft itself, and then there was what looked like these indented sections that were also wrapped around. This is Rudy's drawing here, and they're seeing all this. We know the military personnel, and mentioned before, we know the names of a lot of these people. They should come forward before it's too late. This is our legacy. We need to preserve an important part of our national history. So let's take everything that we got from the witnesses, and we've got Rudy's drawing here. Let's see if we can make this come alive through a full-color illustration. I'm going to move forward to the next sketch here, next slide, and this is the full-color illustration. Oh, Tara and Shane, right in your backyard. Isn't this where yeah. we do our, our field investigator boot camp? Right here. It, it is. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, 
Sure oh, is. wow. Mm-hmm. That is that should be a frame piece of artwork. All these pieces yeah. should be framed and hanging right here behind me. Yeah. <laughs> I'd vote for that too. Yeah, me three. So I mean this you know what Carl Sagan stated is correct. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Now we know that they have these craft. We know they've loaded these things up. We know they've taken Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Eglin Air Force Base, McDill Air Force Base, Homestead Air Force Base. We know the locations. We know the times. We know the dates. We know the personnel involved in this. All of this information could be brought out and handed to the scientific community as a united coalition, and that's how we're going to move this thing forward. All right. we got one minute till break. We got one minute. Okay, let's wow. set up the next one here. July 4th, 1947. So now we're finally getting into the Roswell timeline here. So this is White Sands Missile Range, July 4th, 1947. The primary eyewitness was a technical sergeant within the U.S. Army Air Force. And this is page 196 of the book. Uh, the primary eyewitness saw the entire thing from beginning to end. This is one of these very rare cases. Now, when this thing landed, it was absolutely huge. We're talking 150 feet in diameter. This all happened at night. So they had to bring in light alls. They had to bring in searchlights. They had to bring in spotlights. And this thing was excruciatingly well lit up. And you can see here with the drawings and, and where we've got the spotlights on here. Uh, I want to mention that they had teams of personnel with still cameras taking photographs. They also see, if you look to the right here, they had motion picture film reels documenting this whole thing. Wow. So when we hear oh, senators and congressmen get up uh, over at the congressional hearings and, and talk about, you know, we're lacking physical evidence or any type of evidence at all, they absolutely have it, but they absolutely. may not have access to the material, you know, and we can pick it up on the other side of the break. All right. On the other side of the break, this, I'm mind blown. So we'll see you on the other side of the break. Hey members, the new KGRA DB app is now available on iOS and Android devices. Gain on-demand access to any KGRA DB programming. Download any show directly to your mobile device to listen or watch on the go. Go to the App Store and search KGRA DB. MUFON is the voice of thousands of like-minded people who want to see change. We speak up against UFO secrecy. We engage governments and agencies around the world on the topic. We share information with the public through our journal, website, newsletter, social media, and even our own TV channel. When you join MUFON, you add your voice to the cause. Few things are more important in our time than understanding the UFO question. Join MUFON. Find your friends. Did you know 75% of Americans are chronically dehydrated? If you struggle with focus, run low on energy, or when it's time to finally sleep, you simply can't. This can all be linked to dehydration, and Fuel Up has the answer. 
Our proprietary formula contains the finest cellular hydration with the strongest immune-enhancing natural ingredients. The Fuel Up system is made up of three different incredibly tasting varieties. Wake, kickstarts your day with a jolt of caffeine. Play, boosts focus while hydrating your cells. Rest, not only helps you relax, but also rejuvenates your cells while you sleep. Here's what our clients have to say. I really don't miss my coffee. And you can tell the difference. So I'm going to take it for the energy. I'm going to take it for the play. I'm going to take it you know, all day. And it works. That's the thing. It works. We love it. Take the Fuel Up Challenge now, where we offer a Feel the Difference money-back guarantee. Fuel Up for Life. You're listening to the KGRA Digital Broadcasting Network. We provide unparalleled coverage of trending news in the world of ufology, cryptozoology, and paranormal phenomenon. Whether you're watching our video live stream or listening to one of our audio programs, you are getting the best from world-renowned researchers and hosts guiding you through topics the mainstream won't touch. Miss one of your favorite programs? No problem. Head over to the members area at kgradb.com for access to our massive library of award-winning content. Make contact, stay connected, only at kgradb.com. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And I have got to tell Michael when he gets back, um, he'll be back here in a second. And we're going to play an evening on Earth with an extraterrestrial. But just not too long ago, I was sent in the mail... Um, an interesting case also out of White Sands that kind of he might be interested. I thought it was earlier before like Roswell. I thought it was in late 40s, but it was actually in 1967. Um, and he was a retired major in the United States Air Force and sent me a case over White Sands. So I will send this to Michael uh, as soon as he gets back here. Um, so. We'll wait for him. I think he thought maybe the break was a little longer than it is. It's like, quick, it's only three minutes, <laughs> right? <laughs> we barely have time to run downstairs. 
and refreshing our drinks. Um, but uh, what do you guys think of his presentation so far? It's amazing. So, Michael, there you are. I was just sharing with everybody how just recently in the mail I received from a retired um, ex-major in the Air Force, an interesting case um, over White Sands. Uh -huh. um, so I, I will kind of send this. You might be interested. I thought it was earlier, late, the late 40s, but it was actually 1967. But still, that whole general area there in New Mexico is fascinating. So mm -hmm. I'll send it to you in an email. But are you ready to play an evening on Earth with, with an extraterrestrial? And we'll get back to your presentation. Oh, sure. So here we go. An evening on Earth with an extraterrestrial. So first of all, you're, you're going to have a, a nice dinner with an extraterrestrial. And where on Earth would you like this event to take place? Anywhere in the world? Anywhere in the world. Uh, okay. Torrey Pines Glider Port north of San Diego. <laughs> Why there? <laughs> uh, because it's the best place in the world for a view. Oh, all right. It is beautiful. One. That's going on my bucket list. I've never heard of that before. And what food would you be serving this extraterrestrial? Uh, it's going to be a uh, Benihana cuisine. Yes, <laughs> cuisine. <laughs> nice. And what what song would you like him to hear or kind of music, type of music? What song? Mm, Journey. Journey. All right. Don't stop believing. <laughs> right? <laughs> or, or... Uh, the ever popular Neil Diamond coming to America because there's a backstory on that anyway. <laughs> Are you going to share the backstory? Yeah, we could share later. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. You know, I'm a huge Neil Diamond fan. I hate to admit yeah. that, but I, I just am. So, you know, the jazz singer and all of it. All right. And what film would you recommend for your ET friend? Back to the Future. Oh, oh. <laughs> good choice, good choice, good choice. Uh -huh. And then the one question you would ask. One question. Okay. Um, I would I would ask them. Hmm, good question. Um, <laughs> honestly, I would ask them how their propulsion system works. All right. Right. So we can catch up and go travel. Although, do you believe, Michael, that we have the ability to keep up with ET, and we're just not sharing it at this point? Uh, I think they've made progress uh, on the propulsion systems and everything, but to the level of where they're at, because if they're light beings, um, there, there's, there's no amount of ACE hardware nuts and bolts you're going to get that's going to match that technology. <laughs> Good answer. All of those mm -hmm. are excellent answers. Excellent. At, and I love that you said Neil Diamond because, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's great. Um, all right. So let's go back to your presentation here. We're, we're leaving off. This was just right Right in 1947, correct? 1947, right. White okay. Sands Missile Range, right. White Sands. So the, the bottom line here is they absolutely do have uh, photography of these events. They have motion picture film reels of this, and there's multiple uh, repositories around the country. They, they cannot operate on a single point failure uh you know, policy here because if there's a fire at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base at the warehouse, they're going to lose all of their crown jewels. They've got to have redundancy. So it only makes sense that they've spread their assets around the country. It's That's exactly what they've done. You, you can you can mm -hmm. bet that they've copied these films. They've spread them out to different locations, underground facilities, in vaults uh, that are not accessible to congressmen and senators. And that's why we're having a problem here, because even they don't have the, the proper clearances to get to this information. I mean, 
it, it's not that the information doesn't exist. It's it, the fact that they just can't have access to it. So how can they declassify something that they don't have access or a clearance to get to? That's right. the fight that we're under here. That's, right. you know, the right. problem we're dealing and they with. And they can't even expose that that's a mere possibility. And that's always been my argument with the Denver Roswell body thing that I've been researching, mm -hmm. as you know, Michael, for, I don't know, three or four years now. Right. Why put all your eggs in one basket? I just don't think they would. It doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. for that very reason that you speak of. So. And a, a lot of this has been privatized because the way the way this thing went down is when these crafts started coming down in the early 1940s, um, the United States government, they put together a deal with the defense contractors. And the deal was that uh, we need this technology so bad, we don't care how you do it, you can you know, proprietary this thing, you can profit from this thing, you can commercialize it. That's the agreement that they made, that they, they can make billions of dollars in commercial profits, but they just wanted the technology. They wanted the you know end results of the reverse engineering program. And so that's the deal that they cut with these things. And that's why so much of this is not classified, but it's proprietary and put within the hands of the defense contractors. And that's why we can't get to a lot of this because when they privatize it, it is null and void, and uh, FOI requests do right. not apply to proprietary programs. Yeah, yeah, it's a bummer. And do you think a deal was made with these extraterrestrials um, to gain some of this technology that they can abduct and even mutilate cattle? Well, see, that's where it gets murky, because uh, you know that the media tries to put a spin narrative on this, and they try to promote a threat to all of this. Right. Uh, but again, if there was a threat, they could have wiped us out decades, hundreds of years ago. But they've showed restraint. And so I think that's something that we need to keep in mind, just is something that's important. All right, I don't mean to be hogging, hogging the questions here, Shane and Tara. I have one more question. I'm sorry. Um, why so many crashes around this area and we don't hear of crashes before like 1945? Like, did we do something that is causing these crashes from like, you know, early 40s onward? And Very good question. Why, well, why nothing before that? Okay, good, good question. So that's something I've wondered as well, right? What, if these technologies and if these cultures and civilizations uh, and ET civilizations are hundreds of light years away, they're thousands of light years away, they're, they're perhaps uh, thousands or millions of years in advance in technology, why are they flying through the vastness of space? They're, they're going through gravity wells. They're going through quarks. They're going through quasars. They're going through different uh, planetary systems. And they get to our atmosphere and they crash. They came all this way and now they're crashing. Why is this the case? Okay, well, one way we can explain this, and this is a very good, uh, it's got some good backing to it, is that the conniving military industrial complex after they stole the information from tesla in 1943 when he passed away over in new york and they grabbed his blueprints his papers his designs the united states navy microfilmed everything so they, they've got all that research and then in the uh 1930s and prior to tesla had talked about his death ray 
where he was talking about a directed energy weapon where he could take out quote unquote legions and fleets of aircraft. I'm talking about 300 aircraft at a time and you know, basically taking them out of the sky instantaneously. So it, it looks like what's been going on here, and this is where it gets murky, is that rogue elements of the military industrial complex are targeting, tracking, and shooting these craft down for their propulsion systems and free energy applications. And that appears to be wow. what's going on. Wow. And if we're indeed shooting them down, wouldn't you think they'd retaliate at some point? That, that's the whole point of it, that they are showing restraint. And that's what we're mm. up against here. And so what the military is doing and the media is doing is they're trying to present this threat narrative so that they can cash in and it's a defense contractor bonanza. That's what we're up against here. That's what we're, And so they're shooting these things down to reverse engineer the propulsion system because if they can do that, uh, you know, we're talking about a multi-trillion dollar industry here. The propulsion systems of these vehicles would take out the oil industry, would take out the coal fire plants, would take out internal combustion engines, would take out nuclear power plants, solar, and the wind generators. All of this would be obsolete overnight if they let this technology out, and that's what we're up against. Right. Money, money, money. Wow. <laughs> yep. That's what we're dealing with here. All right. So now let's go to the full color illustration based on the witness testimony on this uh, particular case and Rudy's sketch. And here's what we came up with if we were actually there. Now, they got they got film of this. They have motion picture film reels and they've got still probably uh, black and white and full color. Uh, and, and this is not just one case. We're talking hundreds of these. And that doesn't even go into the cases that they shot down recently in the last 70 years. So, you know, there's no telling what they've got. Warehouses full of this. <laughs> And Michael, on these these illustrations that you're doing, and just so it's clear for everybody, maybe you right. can speak to that. But everything that we see in these are are true to the era. I mean, the uniforms, oh, the yeah. I, vehicles, I sure the technology, sure. <laughs> and oh, yeah. you know, this is stuff that most people have never got to see. So, well, how did you, just... how did you get your team together for that? I just wanted to make these cases come alive because when I was reading Leonard's book, it's lacking any drawings. It's lacking any illustrations. There's nothing there. I'm like, you know what? Someone has got to dig down into these cases and they've got to make these cases come alive through drawings and everything. So I said, you know what? That's going to be my crusade. And that's what you see here. So I have assembled a team around the country who have helped me facilitate that goal. Uh, three particular um, artists. So we've got Rudy Gardea, we've got Joel Payne, and um, Joseph Wraith are my artists. And so I feed them the case file and any references that I can come up with that pertain to the case. And then I also include Rudy's sketch. And through uh, Photoshop, through rendering, through 3D Studio Max, through a number of other software programs, we're able to come up with these visual aids and I try to make them period correct. So when you see 1946, you have 1946 Jeeps, you've got personnel that match the time period of the case itself. Awesome. It's excellent. Yeah, beautiful stuff. 
I'll have to ask you after the show, Michael, but I'm wondering if any three of those guys do any um, book work. I need an illustrator for my ranch. Oh, sure. Sure. All no right. Problem. I'll get that. Talk to you about it later, but man. No problem. Work. Next one. This is UFO crash retrieval 1947 seen at a warehouse in Berkeley. Okay. So wow. Albert Bruce Collins is the primary eyewitness. He's deceased. He was a metallurgical engineer and the page number is 197 from the book. So if you want to get more details, it's all in the book. So I'm not making any of this up. I've got a reference paperwork documentation to back up each one of these cases. So let's go through the case now. We're at Berkeley University and this lab coat technician is at the right place at the right time when this 18-wheeler tractor trailer low boy truck rolls into the facility at Berkeley University. It was an egg-shaped craft 30 feet across, 15 feet high. It had a hole breach on the side of the craft showing the interior yoke, which was about three feet in diameter. And on the forward section of this, of this egg was a composite panel. And then wrapped around the outer circumference of this yoke or central sphere was another composite panel that wrapped around the outer circumference. Now there was a band wrapped around this egg-shaped craft. And then he said that there was shrapnel that was punched out on the right side, which you can see in this drawing here. So my question is, number one, was this the main craft or was this the propulsion system for something much larger? This thing is already 30 feet across. What could this thing be powering that must be even larger than this craft? That's my question. All right. So Michael, hey, quick question. It looks like the egg that was seen in Socorro the craft that landed similar. and yeah. took off. Lonnie Zamora, yes. Mm -hmm. Similar to Lonnie Zamora, that's correct. All that's right, so, so cool. let's take everything that we got from the case itself, and then let's take Rudy's drawing, and let's go to a full-color illustration, and here's what we came up with. Wow. Ooh. So cool. Yeah. So great. somewhere in Berkeley, they might have this craft there. They probably got all the documented analysis. They've got the motion picture film reel of uh, probably a reverse engineering program. They've obviously got still camera photographs of this thing. And that's what we're dealing with here. Um, you know, he, he definitely mentioned that there was shrapnel there. So I'm sure that they spent <laughs> probably millions of dollars trying to figure out what the metallurgical science of this thing is. Hmm. Uh, is it growing? Is it alive? Can it self-repair? Okay. Can we retrofit that technology onto our stealth fighter aircraft? I'm sure that question was brought up multiple times here. But And some of these must be, like you said, maybe not the main craft or scouting yep. crafts or drone type of craft because we're not seeing bodies with some of these. Is that right? Correct. That is correct. That is hmm. correct. Mm -hmm. That's exactly correct. All right. Next one. Carrot Patch south of salinas california july august 1947 seen by two 19 year old workers in a nearby field leonard stringfield dictation notes okay so the site here is these two 19 year old boys they're working in a carrot patch now whatever this craft was it came down the night before the foreman alerted these two 19 year old boys now i'm going to go to the next slide here this is the sketch that ah. came with the case wasn't a real big craft, nine feet in diameter, four feet tall. It had a double row of indented windows wrapped around the outer circumference of the craft itself. We'll move on to the next drawing here. And now you see the map. X marks the spot. We know exactly where this thing came down. 
Now, I doubt there's any debris left over. It's been a long time, but you might still find something there if you could get to this location uh, near Gonzales. This is not all that far from Pacific Coast Highway here, which is one heading north. So now let's go to the first pass drawing. Here's my first pass AutoCAD drawing. Again, nine feet in diameter, four feet tall. And let's go to the first attempted illustration of what this thing will look like. You know, kind of a crude color drawing, but just kind of a, uh, a rudimentary color illustration. And now we'll go to Rudy's drawing. It gives you an idea of what this thing actually is. Now, when the military got there, because these two 19-year-old boys, they got there before the military even got on site. One of them, it says in the, in the report, one of these 19-year-old workers ran up to this thing and kicked it with his boot. <laughs> physical contact with this thing. Now, while this is going on, the military convoy arrives at the scene, and these two 19-year-old workers are immediately told to get out of this place right now. So they're about an eighth of a mile away, but not too far that they didn't see the entire retrieval operation. So now mm. let's bring in our full color illustration beginning with the retrieval operation where they actually brought this craft onto the 18-wheeler tractor trailer and then shipped it out. We'll go to the full color illustration now, and this is what it looked like here. Oh, wow. Those are great. Hey, you three, you want a road trip to California? I know. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Look at that. Unbelievable. It brings it to life so much. Yeah. That's, that's the goal. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. So Kicking the thing something I'd do. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably do that too, you know. So they probably have this at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base right now as we speak. Now, I can't guarantee it, but, you know, during the 40s, 50s, 60s, um, all roads lead to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Why? Easy. Number one, they've got the aerial, the aerial medical lab there for autopsies. And they've got the foreign technology division where they can test and they can uh, try out you know, diamond tip drill bits, the metallurgical science, drill presses, everything. They can try to reverse engineer these crafts. So that's why all roads lead to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, at least at that time. Hey, Michael, you said drill presses. It's, it seems like I've heard you talk a little bit about that, about how they use drills to try to penetrate the yes. shells of these and a lot of um, craft, correct? That is absolutely correct. Uh, it is my understanding, now I've got at least four cases within my files where they absolutely mention four word by word that they were using diamond tip drill pit bits to try to get into the hull of these craft. And in each and every case, it was unsuccessful. Hmm. I think it's kind of interesting too that in a lot of cases, most cases, in fact, that you, you really don't see landing gear Correct. On, oh. on UFOs, right? There, I mean, the Socorro case, you know, there are a few cases where right. they, they have uh, bent waters, that kind of thing. But I, I just find that interesting. And then, you know, the the size of the shapes and the variations, right? So you have like a, you know, in a comparable technology does like a single seater, you know, aircraft or or, you know, a bomber with a crew of eight or 10 people or whatever. I, maybe that's, you know, the concept with them, but always find that interesting. And, and even with like the Tic Tac. Um, but, but the other thing that really freaks me out too is, is like the materials science behind this stuff. And if you go to like the Tic Tac, 
you know, some people think it might be ours and stuff, but I just really wonder what material on earth do we even possess that could take 800 G forces or, you know, right. the temperatures that yeah. would, would be, you know, uh, on the surface of these things going, you know, from 80,000 feet to 50 feet in 0.78 seconds or whatever it is. Um, but when you look at this and you, you almost see over time that the technology has morphed a little bit, even on their side, right? Whether whether it's a single source or multiple sources, I don't know. But, you know, the, the egg shape or the lenticular disc shape um, is so common, especially in the earlier years. Um, you know, it just really makes you wonder about the technology and, and what the purpose is and just all of that. And, you know, I think your illustrations really capture that variation um, and it, it, it just, it, it fascinates me that there could be that much variety, but with humans mm -hmm. like boats, you know, a boat's a boat, but <laughs> you, they range from aircraft carriers to hydroplanes to yeah. sailboats and, and maybe it's the same thing going on there, but these just, these illustrations are beautiful. And, and it's, it also speaks to, um, Springfield's ability to, you know, record and write. Uh, the details about these events and that you can translate them into images that are representative of that. So, I mean, good on you, Mike, but also good, good on. Oh, on yeah. Uh, if it wasn't for Leonard Stringfield, we wouldn't have any of these cases yeah, because he meticulously documented these cases from military sources. Now he wouldn't give up the names because that's the agreement he had. Now I have some of the names. I don't have all of them, but that's how he was able to, uh, get these people down on paper, you know, to, to record yeah. this for our own history. Yeah, yeah so important. Huge. Yeah, it looks like air cleaners or air filters on it the side does. of the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it like you put into your heaters, mm -hmm. <laughs> your furnaces? Real quick, so Michael, we have your book here too. So for anybody who might be interested, this is his um, book number one. And I want to ask you, are there more books coming? But he basically okay. has all of these beautiful illustrations in it. And it's a fascinating book and um, he's done a lot of research. So I highly recommend it, everyone. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yep. It's on mm -hmm. my shelf too. It's great. And, great and I told Michael, I, I expect an autograph next time I get to see him. Uh, so. no, <laughs> no, the other thing that we should consider here is that let's just say that, yes, these crash retrievals are true. They did happen. We've got the military witnesses. And let's just set a date, 1941, as Cape Girardeau be, be, you know, kind of the beginning part of all this. So we've got, you know, we're looking at good 75, 80 years of uh, black budget funding going into these programs. And after all this time, you would think that we got something for our money, uh, probably something incredible. They've made a breakthrough. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for in propulsion, in aerospace, where these things don't fly, quote unquote. They, it was described as 
they float on an oil pathway in the sky. That's how they fly. They don't fly like an airplane flies. So you can bet that we got something for our money after all these years. You better have. What did we get? Well, <laughs> it's probably in the report. We, we, got a, we got a level of technology Answer. that can Although. mimic the form, fit, and function of ET craft. That's hmm. what we got for our money. Although, you know, I feel like, you know, it's clear we have proof that whatever, um, like whether it was the F-117A or the B-2, um, you know, other, you know, exotic aircraft that, that they were developed really decades before we are even aware of them. So one could legitimately say that that whatever's really out there is could be 50 years ahead, right? Correct. Which I, you know, I, I, I know that's a fact, right? Just based on what I just mentioned. But um, I also, I struggle with just how much that we really have been able to develop it because you just don't see it. Um, you don't see the technology and, you know, we fight wars in with very conventional hundred year old airplane designs and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and I just wonder, you know, I, I, I struggle with saying that, you know, the Tic Tac is ours or, or the triangles are ours and, and that kind of thing. And I, I get your logic and yeah, you would think we would have something for our money and all that effort. Um, and maybe there are things in life that we have that came from that technology, you know, maybe medical imaging equipment or what, you know, whatever, some, you know, high tech stuff. Um, but I, I struggle with the fact that we have developed that. And one of the reasons is, you know, we, we send off, you know, our young men and women to war and to, you know, yet we would have a technology that would prevent the need for war altogether, you know, that, so I always struggle with that, but I, I don't discount it. I don't, you know, I, I've always, my mantra is anything's possible until, until it's proven not to be. And so, you know, based on that model, I think there's a potential, but I also really struggle with thinking how much we really got, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I appreciate what you're saying. I, I, I do understand what you're saying, but I would just, um, I would ask you to consider the fact that when the government, specifically the military industrial complex, when they want to keep a secret, they can, okay? Oh, yeah. There, there was nobody outside of the Have Blue program that knew anything about a first flight of their aircraft in 1977, that program wasn't made public until November the 10th of 1988. They had successfully mm -hmm. kept the stealth fighter program under wraps for literally over 10 years and no one knew about it. So sure. they can do it when they want to. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And I don't even doubt that. I mean, look at, look at um, you know, the, the atomic bomb, right? Right. Uh, so I, that part, I don't doubt. I just, okay. uh, but, but you know what, to your point, maybe, you know, this is a sad commentary, but okay. maybe it's so valuable. We don't use it in warfare or anything because it's just too valuable That's, where you, everyone else is using uh, conventional. So you can go conventional and, and, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, it's sad commentary that human life is more, you know, is, is expendable in comparison to, you know, the, the value of that technology. But I, again, I, this is just Shane. But, uh, no, I, I agree with you. That's I agree with you. And, 
And there is a sinister, hmm, kind of like what you were saying, uh, they don't care about human life. I, I somewhat agree with you because why would we want to send one of our silver bullet assets to end a war immediately? Why don't we just keep on cranking out F-16s and F-15s and other type of aircraft when we can, we can make billions on these yeah. old obsolete aircraft? Why would we want to get rid of our cash cow? It's, right. it's a gravy train for the defense contractors. Yeah. Yeah, we could send right. over a, a flying triangle and wipe out an, an enemy like within a matter of minutes. Why would we want to do that when we can cash in on all these aircraft? Yeah. What yeah. do you think, Michael, what do you think it would take for us to expose, you know, the advanced technologies and propulsions we might have? We did get this, though. Hold on. Let's see if I can get it. Okay, it's going to crash. Crash retrieval behind me. I better yeah. it <laughs> what do you think it would take for us to expose uh, Well. I've been exposing it for a while, but that's that's neither here nor there. But all you got to do is is look at what the witnesses are telling us. Okay, just just look at what the witnesses are telling us. I'm going to give you an example. If you go to 1989, 1990 in Belgium, okay, you've got this huge triangle, mm -hmm. and what the witnesses are telling us is that it's making a low frequency ele electrical humming noise, like a transformer mm -hmm. or a sewing machine, and they're also telling us that it has tubes, pipes, and cylinders on the bottom of the craft. And a lot of these craft are tested on Thursday nights. When you put that together and you link it up with January 5th, 2000, Southern Illinois Triangle, which also appeared to have this understructure that was very mechanical. They, they described it as uh, a plumber's uh, device. It looked like stacked Legos. It looked like tubes, pipes, and cylinders. It had this electrical humming noise. This we're not looking at an ET craft here. These things have fasteners, they have rivets, they have Zeus fasteners, they have composite panels. They use off-the-shelf components pre-existing within the military-industrial complex. These are not ET craft. These are built with human hands using defense contractor funds, black budget funds that have no congressional oversight and no public scrutiny. That's what we're looking at here. So they, they can do it. They have the technology. They have made the breakthrough, and they've done it. They've done it. What are, what are the best ways to tell the difference between what might be our, you know, secret technology and what sure, might be sure. extraterrestrial? What are some signs we can look for? I, I did a whole white paper on this called Stagecraft. You know, like, is it live or is it Memorex? And number one, okay, <laughs> test it on Thursday nights. This happened in the early 80s up to the mid-1990s. Why Thursday nights? Number one, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is pre-flight. Thursday is the test flight. Friday's debrief. Saturday, Sunday, there's no one at the base. So that's why they test on Thursday nights. And what do we see when we go to the early 1990s over Catalina Island, over, over uh, Los Angeles? We have these airquakes coming over Los Angeles, waking everyone up at 5.06 in the morning, 6.07 in the morning, going over Catalina Island, going over Los Angeles, and going into Area 51. Tested on a Thursday. Okay, so that happened. <laughs> then you've got, you've got tubes, pipes, and cylinders on the bottom of the craft. You've got electrical humming noise. You've Ooh. got uh, lighting patterns where the reds go off, the blues go off, the yellows go off, then the whites go off. And this goes on and on as a pattern. This is not an ET craft. Even Stanton Friedman said, Lights on an extraterrestrial craft could only be for decoration. 
There's no reason right. for them to have lights on. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Twice yeah. a week. That probably was ours then, right? Probably was Sarah ours. <laughs> probably was ours. And Phoenix the slides. witness said they are around a lot of military bases, so that's another clue. There's another mm. clue, too. Now, mm. from the newspaper clippings, okay, it is very, very clear that the military-industrial complex, in conjunction with universities, they were desperately trying to crack the gravity barrier, and they made the breakthrough mm. October 1954. That's where wow. the whole historical narrative shifted off to one side. L they left us all in the dark, and the military-industrial complex, they took their own railroad track, and now they have all the toys, and we're living in this dream world with these internal combustion engines that are hundreds of years behind where we should be right now. And that's not my quote. That came from astronaut Gordon Cooper. We were 100 years behind where we should be right now. Wow. That's crazy. Michael, the Tic Tac. Yes. So some of those pictures, you know, it looks like there may be some antennas on it or some kind of projection off, right. the, say, a back end of it or whatever. Do you think that's ours? I mean, do we have the technology without our metal and structures stay together at a force going so not only do i think it's ours we have a witness that came forward that dr greer presented uh this past june over in washington dc at the press club uh he was present when they were offloading one of these things oh. and there was a very windy section as the cargo bay of the c-130 came down the tarp blew off and he got a look at one of these tic tacs he described it exactly how the F-18 pilots described. And they, they have these prongs or protrusions sticking out, which are static electrical discharge prongs. It's the same thing that you see on multiple different cases, including 1966 in Temple, Oklahoma, where Eddie Laxon saw the exact same prong sticking out. So there is this historical legacy that dates back to the early 1960s. Oh, there you have it. You heard it here on mm -hmm. Move On What's Up, Tic Tacs. <laughs> I mean, it, you can see how deep this goes, how sinister this goes. I mean, this mm -hmm. is very deep. And you, you can see why they've kept it under wraps because you've got the crown jewels. You've got ace in the hole technology. You've got silver bullets here. And when, when you hear these terms, when you hear like DOD personnel talk about silver bullets, that's these craft. And they don't roll mm -hmm. these things out for conventional wars. They're not going to do it. What do you say to people like when you talk about back engineered technologies that we may have gleaned from these right. downed craft, extraterrestrial craft, like fiber optics, but then you have the, the debunker saying, well, no, we know the scientific progression of how we um, came to fiber op optics. What do you say to that? I mean, I, I mean, that's a good argument. So I, I've kind of always like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense probably wasn't back engineered, but how, what, what do you say about okay. that? I totally agree with you. There, there is, is there a historical legacy of how you can trace where a lot of these technologies went. Now, one of them, uh, allegedly, you know, we've got fiber optics, we've got the integrated chip, we've got night vision, we've got Velcro. A lot of these technologies were already existing within the German military industrial complex long oh, before we ever got on the scene. Right. So we, we want to, discuss that as well. But it, it certainly appears that they have been running multiple tracks of black programs. When they take these things, they bring them to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, they get the best people on them. And for years, we've been hearing that 
it's the Air Force that's covering all this up and, you know, they've got the, all the information. Well, if you really dig down deep into this, it is not, repeat, it is not the Air Force that's calling the shots. It is the United States Navy in conjunction with the Atomic Energy Commission that is pulling the strings behind the scenes. They're the ones running the show. Again, you heard it here on MUFON. What's up? The Navy, not the Air Force. Oh, see? I'm I'm guilty of going, it's the Air Force, it's the Air Force. (laughs) It's not. It's not. And it's really interesting. And maybe Shane, since you're on the ERT and Tara, too, the cases you've worked, I find it interesting that like some of these abductions and and things seem to have families that are tied to the Navy. Have you noticed that? I've noticed that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, You know, military families are often our witnesses. There's no doubt about that. Plenty of them. Even when we get the civilian reports, it might be, you know, daughters of or sons of or that kind of thing. Um, So, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt there's, I, it's a nexus. It's a mix. I, and this is what makes it so difficult, right? Uh, you've got this blend of, is it them? Is it, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it feels very, very contrived too, you know, like yeah. intended uh, right. to, to, to be, you know, obfuscate and throw people off the scent and that kind of thing. Exactly. I mean, we all yeah. feel that, right? That mm, we've yeah. seen Mike, it. That's it's yeah. a proven fact. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Michael, what do you think it's going to take for us to expose what we have, and what do you think it's going to take for the Navy <clears throat> to uh, come forward? I mean, right. what what well, has to happen here? It, it's going to take um, a vehicle in Congress, which we have right now, and the military witnesses coming forward, and them them naming names, not any of this, oh, I can't talk about it unless I'm in a skiff type thing, right? We don't need any of that. We need names, we need dates, locations, and then we subpoena their superiors. We bring that information and physical hardware before the American public in the world in real-time congressional hearings that are streamed live around the world so that there's no wiggle room and we get to the physical evidence. That's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take. And what do you think the fallout from that would be? The fallout will be that if if the defense contractors do not fall in line, then they will be held liable through RICO. They'll be held liable and they'll be taken to court and they could use they could lose billions of dollars because oh. these programs were black and extra constitutional from the get go. So mm-hmm. thereby it makes them illegal. And that's uh-huh the legal standing we have on they were illegal from the get-go they were extra constitutional from the get-go so these these national security o's and usaps are null and void because the program was extra constitutional from the get-go wow do you do you yeah do you think that we would see a breakdown of let's say you know countries and i mean if this technology is exposed it changes the world of course it changes the world it it changes the geopolitical structure of everything and that that's essentially what we need to save this world is we need to break down the walls and we will no longer have these barriers but we will become one people one unit one planet that's the only way we're going to get this thing done and it's directly tied to the crash retrievals is directly tied to those because they are the Rosetta Stone to all of this. 
So in the time remaining, do we want to cover some more crash retrieval cases? Yes, please. Sure. <laughs> All right. Can we have we another? Have 15 minutes. 15 okay, minutes. Okay, we got enough to do it. Mind-blowing. Share screen. Share screen. Uh, entire screen. Share. Go here. Share. Okay. So now I'm going to go down here, and I'm going to go into here, and I'm going to go from beginning, slideshow from beginning. Okay. Can you see this? Are we there good? You are. Yeah, okay. we're good. Hey. Got it. All right, so let's try to rip through this here. All right, C-119 flying boxcar, Sierra Madre Valley, Mexico, prior to 1951. So I'm thinking 1948 time frame. This is another Stringfield case. Page 32, the primary eyewitness was a engineer. He worked in highway construction. And this is a dish craft that came down is about nine feet in diameter. At least two bodies were recovered. So let's go to the drawing here. And I'm going to take you on, on the inside of the C-119 flying box car. Wow, look at that. Now, how do we know that this craft was nine feet in diameter? Well, it's easy, right? All you have to do is take an interior dimension with a tape measure, and we've got nine foot, 10 inches in, across. So the craft can't be any larger than nine feet in diameter because you have to leave five inches on either side for clearance. That's how we gauge how large this craft was. So here's the craft as it came down. This is the retrieval operation. Oh. Now you can see them loading it into the aft cargo bay of the C-119. And this is all in the book. This is not me. This is all in the book. And you can read the, the uh, intricate details within Leonard's book here. Now, let's go to the full color illustration to give you a little bit better idea of what this retrieval operation looked like. And here's the full color illustration right here. Oh, wow. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> hit you with the 22 inch rims here. <laughs> so, uh, okay, we've got the clamshell doors opened up. We've got the retrieval operation. The uh, bodies look so small. The bodies look mm -hmm. small. They have to be three small, feet, right? Three feet. Yeah, they're, they're very small. They have to be small. There's no way they can get around it. Now, I will mention, and it's kind of a gruesome detail here, but the gentleman who was at this retrieval operation that was asked to be assisted, you know, the, the government came up to him, would you help us with this? Yes, I will help you. He said that uh, these bodies were burnt. They were charred oh. very badly. And when he touched the skin, the skin came off on his fingers. That's what he said in the recall. So let's go a little bit more of a blow up here. It shows you, you know, the retrieval operation as they're actually doing this here. And then we'll go ahead and move over to the bodies here. So this is the quote in the report. It says, ah, senor, he said, they were handsome, those little <laughs> men with fine features and beautifully formed hands. But there must have been an explosion in their craft for they were burnt black. And when I touched their face, one of them, the skin came off under my finger as though it had been cooked. Oh. So somewhere at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, at McDill Air Force Base, at Eglin Air Force Base, they probably have these ET bodies. Can you imagine if you were one of those soldiers that witnessed or touched these little guys, how that would just transform and change your whole view of the universe and life. And, mm -hmm. and, and just like I spoke about earlier, you know, at some point, maybe they maybe they can keep it secret for most of their lives, but 
I I personally put a lot of weight into deathbed confessions. I, do I don't know you about Michael, but you're towards the end of your life. You know you don't have long to live. You've got to tell somebody, even if it's your mm-hmm. your son or your daughter or whoever. You know, yeah. you find a lot of credibility and weight in those deathbed confessions. And do you have very many of those that you've looked into? Hmm. Um, only from what's in the book. But I totally agree with you because what do they have to lose, right? Yeah. It, it, it really is the final curtain call. And some of these yeah. people are still alive, but not all of them. If, yeah. if we don't take and do a management decision on this whole process here, if we don't take the bull by the horns, we're all going to lose out on this history. Mm-hmm. All, right. all right. Now, General George C. Marshall, uh, Army Chief of Staff during World War II. Why is he important in all of this? Uh, that ties into the George Marshall Foundation, Lexington, Virginia. So I was digging and I was trying to figure out, would this guy know about what was going on here? If you look at his papers and what is in this collection here, it talks about the, the time frames, 1945, 1947, American Battle, 1949, 1951. So when you when you look at this, this is the gentleman that would know about this. So I, I'm probably going to do a deep dive in, in his collection. But General George C. Marshall, he absolutely knows about these early crash retrievals. This is the guy that would know. Uh, so just want to give people an idea of where you can go to maybe find some more reference information about this gentleman and the crash retrievals. Okay, next one, as we're moving along here. Naval Air Station, Sunnyvale, California, 1950, Hangar 1, which you can go to. You can go in this hangar. I've been in this hangar. This hangar is so large, has its own weather. That's how big this hangar is. Wow. The primary eyewitness was a radar observer. His name is Durward Buddy Hawk. This is UFO crash retrievals, case B-5, page 57. So the picture here is he walks through a double door. He goes into this vast hangar. And what he sees originally was this large disc-shaped craft. So now I'm going to take you inside the hangar and show you here. This is what he saw. This thing was massive. Wow. At least 100 feet. It, it filled up the whole feet. section of the hangar here. Within about 60 seconds, an MP challenged him and told him, get out of here. Get out of here immediately. Now, this thing was about 100 feet in diameter. It had a dome on top. It had a series of porthole windows wrapped around the outer circumference of the disc itself. Now, I'm going to go back one slide to give you what he said, not what I said, but let me give you his quote here. It says, quote, it was certainly no aircraft of ours. That's what he said. So it was his impression that this was, was not one of ours. This thing was massive. All right, let's move on to the next one here. Now, this next witness was a military, former military officer. He was at a classified materials library, unknown U.S. Air Force Base. This is page 213, 212 to 213. So he had some extra time. He's opening up these file cabinets. He pulled out a a manila folder, and when he saw what was in there, it shocked him. So I'm going to take you inside the file now, and here's what he said he saw. He saw a report that mentioned crash retrievals, plural. Uh, there was talk of bodies, and then he said that there was an eight by 10 black and white glossy photograph depicting a retrieval operation of about a 36 foot diameter dish shaped craft that had a dome on top and windows wrapped around the outer circumference. He also said that there was a small pencil size hole 
within one of these porthole windows. Do you think that's what could have brought it down? I didn't mention that. Not not in the report anyway. But I want to talk about a couple of points that he talked about, which I think are important here. Number one, military officer had the correct security clearance, which gave him access to a classified materials library. Number two, Mm -hmm. report seen by witness made reference to crashes and that bodies were recovered. Okay, so that's important to keep in mind. Number three, in addition, diamond tip drill bits. So this is the second instant now of these diamond tip drill bits. Acetylene torches were used to gain access to the interior. Reference 1946 craft seen at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Uh, and then also 1963 at a location that is undisclosed. Now, number four, eventually technicians were able to gain access to the interior of the craft by way of a small entry hatch. The report said, referring to the door, that it was almost as if the material of the craft liquefied and then solidified again. Wow. Something that we've heard again and again, that Mm -hmm. seams on these entryway hatches on the bottom of these craft are so fully integrated into the craft, you could not put a razor blade in between here. That's how fully integrated these are. Now that comes to mind, Terminator 2. Yeah. Yeah. Terminators that have liquid metal. Is that the technology? Mm. Wow. Something to think about here. Okay, now, why is Farmington important? Well, we have to talk about the Farmington Armada. So this is Albuquerque Journal, March 18, 1950. Hundreds at Farmington report large force of flying saucers. Now, this was literally the largest one-time flap in all of history. There were over 500 dish-shaped craft that were seen on one day. This happened over a period of a couple of days here, but on the primary day, which was March 17th, 1950, there were 500 dish-shaped craft. One of them, the quote-unquote leader, was red in color, and they were making these absolutely incredible maneuvers. They were making 90-degree left-hand turns. They were going backwards. Uh, incredible technology they were using here. Now, in the early 1950s, there was an Air Force standing alert that went to our pilots to shoot these things down so that we could retrieve these things. And Sounds them. familiar. Oh, my gosh. Now, this Get went on in the early 1950s. Like, you guys need to shoot these things down. And I don't care how you do it. You've got to get these things shot down. So here is the newspaper clipping. Cincinnati Inquirer, July 29th, 1952. Shoot saucer down. Jet pilots so ordered in 24-hour alert. We'll go to a couple others here. Jets keeping 24-hour alert for saucers. Pilots ordered to down objects if they don't land. On the saucer trail, pilots told shoot them down. Jets on 24-hour alert to shoot down saucers. Now, why, why am I showing you these newspaper clippings? What's the reason for this? Well, here's the aircraft that they were using to try to intercept these. F-94 Starfire. And if you go to the Pima Air and Space Museum in Tucson, Arizona, you can see one of these things with these rocket flaps in place. Now, if you go to the Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio, they have the rocket flaps in the deployed position so that they're retracted back so that you can shoot these. So that's where you can see one of these F-94s. So here's the drawing of what it looked like when they were trying to intercept one of these craft. Our own caller. Oh. Wow. <laughs> Gee, so this is one of the craft that my major 
over white sand. So that looks very similar. So yeah. credibility to the, wow. And right. they've got gun camera footage all this. Where is that footage? Why won't they bring that out? Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they haven't shown us, right? Going back to the Gulf War, going back to uh, Vietnam, going back to the Korean War, going back to World War II, they've got gun camera footage. So there's, there's thousands of film reels from our Air Force pilots that they've shot. Now, how do we know that? Let me hit you with this. This came from Leonard's book here. This was a letter to Leonard Stringfield from Mildred Bissell, October 2nd, 1979. This is what she wrote. It says, I heard you speak at the MUFON Symposium in Dayton last year, and I am interested in your research on retrievals of the third kind. I gave a talk at a local library last week, and in the discussion period following, a fellow told me that when he was a gunner in the Air Force, he had emptied his guns on a UFO and had taken pictures with his gun camera that clearly showed the shells exploding wow. against the side of the craft. He said the camera was taken off the wing of his plane when it landed and the pictures developed at 2 a.m. A couple of military policemen came and got him out of bed and took him to the base auditorium. They ran the 17 seconds of movie of the UFO over and over and questioned him and two other crew members until 10 a.m. He was warned never to tell anyone what had happened. He said he had a wife and family and a good job and a lot to lose. He seemed afraid of the CIA and wouldn't even <laughs> give his name. So here it is, right from one of the pilots, where he unloaded an entire magazine of shells on the side of this craft, and they got it on motion picture film reel. You know they warehouses of these films. Wow. Yeah. Okay, we have five minutes left, and I could spend about another six hours <laughs> one uh, of these cases. So no one problem. more here. <laughs> we got enough time. Okay, Camp Polk, Louisiana, summer 1953, private in the Army, case A1, page 80. That's the reference. Okay, now, what this thing looked like, it looked just like that one that came into Berkeley University. It may be the same craft. Who knows? But I'm just presenting it here as it was presented in the Stringfield book. So this was an egg-shaped craft about 30 feet across. It had a rim that was still rotating. Now, where it came down, it had this kind of a uh, red dirt that was still warm to the touch when they got there. Now, this is the retrieval operation. One of the bodies was taken out on a stretcher. There were three other beings that came out that were being, quote-unquote, assisted by military personnel. Now, I want to describe them. They were about three and a half feet tall. They had oversized head. They had oversized eyes, slit for a mouth, minute nose. They were wearing a one-piece tight-fitting flight suit. They had what looked like helmets on, and they were wearing mittens. Believe it or not, they were wearing uh -huh. mittens. Now, the report said that whatever these beings were, they lacked a knee joint, so they could mm. only bend at the hips so they had this stair step, you know, moving oh, when like they were Pascagoula. walking. Like they didn't bend either. And they, they were fused together, the, the ugly guys in Pascagoula. The night walkers, yeah. yeah. So that was very interesting that th this was mentioned in the case. Now we want to go to the full color illustration to take you to the scene now. And here is the full color illustration. Oh, cool. What this may have looked like by Joseph Wraith. And you can see the, the stretcher with the body. You can see the other three coming out with the hatchway open. And I'm going to zoom in a little bit here so that you can get a better view. Now, here's the bodies. Dean's oh, wow. walking out, being assisted. And uh, we'll, do a, we'll do a little bit blow up here. 
Uh, now we see everything coming into view. So he's being loaded into the ambulance truck. And I want to get a little bit more of a detailed view here. And now wow. you can see this uh, being being loaded here. So not oh only my goodness. Yep. We've Those got are great. A lot of time went into this one. So we got yeah. to get wow. closer, uh, Oh, race. Michael, my goodness. I wish we had more time. Um, everybody, <laughs> yep. you need to go get Michael Schratt's book, Dark Files. It's an amazing yeah. book, amazing illustrations. I can't thank you enough for being here. I, I, I know the field gets frustrating, but your work is incredible, and it's so, so important. I hope you know that, and I hope we, yes. all, we all appreciate the work you're doing. It's invaluable, honestly. It's inspiring. Really. Yeah, I love it. so much, Shane. Thank you so much. Thank you to all our listeners. Thank you to Chanel for running the back end. We couldn't do it without you. And thank you to KGRA and Bill Skywatcher. Until next Tuesday night, we'll see you next week. Everybody have a great rest of your week. See you next week. You too. Night.